Hello, and how do you do, sports fans? Is your host, uh, Ben Raskin. Welcome to the seventh floor of the Salt Lake Tribune offices. We're doing uh, Tribune Sports Radio for the week of June the 9th, 2014. Uh, joined today, we've got Kevin Winter-Morris. How you doing, buddy? And uh, Mr. Aaron Falk. Hey, guys. And Chris Camrani is out on assignment, so he won't be joining us today. If by assignment you mean on vacation in California, yes. A well-deserved vacation, I should. We should hopefully all agree. Uh, big week in sports would happen this last week, but probably nothing bigger that impacts the Utah Jazz than the hiring of a head coach. Yeah. Um, Quinn Snyder. What do you get? You guys excited? Yeah. I, ba- <laughs> obviously the best hair of any coach in the NBA. Name one with better hair. You I can't. I can't. No, no. no. It's a, a young Doc Rivers. And Kevin McHale, that's quite the mop, <laughs> but it doesn't compare to Quinn Snyder. It's interesting. I mean, that, that's like the that's the first thing that's going to get brought up about this guy forever, right? Like, it's it's kind of what it's you know kind of a calling card. Like when when he was when things were going great when he was first hired in Missouri. I mean, it, that's obviously like good looks and kind of being the coolest guy in the room is has helped him through, you know, or to get, it helps everybody kind of open doors, right? Like, I, is, you're look, I look in the mirror every day. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, those doors but close then, pretty quick for like me. It's like when bad times come, it's, it's the first thing. It's a punchline, you know. It's, I don't know, That's it's an interesting thing. It's totally irrelevant, right? It's quite the flashpoint. I mean, it really is for this guy. Why, why, why his hair, you know? Well, I think what, what I like about it is that, you know, uh, it's a Generation X coach. It's a guy who grew up on listening to spin doctors and blues travelers. It's a guy that, you know, graduated probably early 90s and, you know, came of age of that music and that style where, you know, uh, the 80s kind of disappeared and grunge came in. And he got caught in that sweet spot where long flowing uh, Samson like locks could be his calling card. They had him on on the radio this morning. Uh, He's from kind of Seattle area. Uh And they asked him if he was into, into grunge. And he kind of gave sort of this like diplomatic like i respect allison chains but <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to jack johnson right now <laughs> that's pretty funny what do you uh do you, during the uh hiring process for this when they're interviewing different people do uh, obviously quinn got the job who else do you know might have been considered for the position um adrian griffin the uh, assistant in chicago under Thibodeau, and um, alvin gentry who's been a head coach um and also Brad Jones, who was an assistant under Corbin last year. Uh, Jerry Sloan's nephew was uh, won, won the D-League title um, in, in Austin, which is well. where Snyder also w- was a coach in Austin, kind of uh, getting that, that Spurs tutelage under Popovich and, and R.C. Buford, the general manager there. Was uh, Of the candidates here, I mean, just as a sports fan, not even as a reporter on this one, did they go with the right guy? Or um. Hey, you know, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I think that Gentry was less intriguing to a lot of people just kind of just kind of on the outside. I mean, um, he'd been a head coach for, what, 10 or 12 seasons. He'd only been to the playoffs twice um, or, or as a head coach and, and with really good Phoenix teams. Um, Brad Jones having that, I mean, that, uh, that D-League experience um, and, and winning a title, obviously. Uh it's, it's head coaching experience and, and winning head coaching experience. But, um, you know, I don't know. Snyder, Snyder probably has – he's got upside that maybe maybe those other guys don't have right now. I, I don't know. I mean, he was – at 32 years old, if, if, if 
all of that bad if the bad stuff at Missouri didn't happen those recruiting violations um, which obviously cost him some wins later on uh, you know who knows he could have he could have been a head coach at age 40 uh, in the NBA or something like that um, but you know he took kind of the, the long way to get here and I think he's got a he's got a ton of upside if, if based on the people that he's coached under and some incredible names I mean He's been with Larry Brown, um, Mike Krzyzewski, Doug Collins, uh, and, and also getting that kind of um, mentor from from Popovich. He had he during his uh, press conference on Saturday, his introductory press conference. He had some interesting things to to say about having uh, worked and and played for some of those coaches. Um, here's what he kind of had to say. Perfect. We're going to play a quick clip, and we'll be back in one second. It's humbling to think. They, that I've had a chance to be around those people, Coach K, Coach Pop, R.C. Buford. And I think through those opportunities, you know, you know what you don't know, or, and you start to realize the opportunities that you have. Well, you can ask me, is there any better opportunity than to spend time with probably the greatest modern basketball coach, uh, great, uh, Coach Pop? You know, the time spent down there, I mean, it's gotta, that's got to be a master's class in how to uh, organize and run a basketball program. Well, I mean, even just having played for Coach K in the 80s, helping, you know, three teams um, make runs in the NCAA tournament, it, he's always had good experience. And then now to get that chance here, it, it really is a pretty incredible opportunity here to kind of mold this team the way that he wants. I, I think that this is the opportunity that he's kind of been preparing for. And he's, he's had looks – um, at, at head coaching jobs in the NBA before this. Um, I know he withdrew from a job in Orlando when, when Jacques Vaughn got that job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was being looked at uh, Charlotte when they ultimately went with Steve Clifford. Um, but this is this is one that, that he wanted. I mean, f- talking with people that know him, um, this is a, an opportunity, I mean, to, to work with Dennis Lindsay again, who, whom he'd known from the Spurs organization, to have kind of a, an ownership that, doesn't fire coaches that often um, is a nice uh, security to have. And, and then to have kind of a young roster. And, and the big thing that, w- that kind of was hyped about him um, was his player development, was just his focus on that. And, and Dennis Lindsay said some uh, – kind of gave this, this vague um, story about a, a top player, who, a player development coach in the NBA, this guy he thinks is the top, and left him unnamed and said that – Quinn Snyder is reaching that level um, of being a top player development guy in this league. You know, he, he was he was asked what the about uh, you know kind of his philosophy that he wanted to develop with the team, and he gave three uh, he gave three he mentioned three different things that he's gonna really stress. Um, Benny, let, let's play that clip real quick because I think it's interesting what he kind of says about the. Um, the identity he wants his team to have. I'd like to have a defensive identity. I think that that's an area where we can uh, try to take a stand. It involves habits. It involves energy, effort, focus. uh, But that's obviously something that we want to do. A couple other things that I'd like to see our our team start to show and develop is attention to detail. I think if you have attention to detail in all these situations, it just makes you better. And the last thing would be, would be accountability, um, us holding each other accountable, both players and coaches. Um, that's kind of the, the clay that you use to mold the team. So 
again, this is a process, the building process. It's one that I love. I think the, the fit is, is just terrific for me personally. Aaron, the thing that, that, you know, the defense, that's something that you reported on a lot, that that was really going to be stressed and whoever the new coach was. But I think it was the second two things that really, really kind of stuck with me, the attention to detail and the accountability. You were mentioning about the player development. It seems to me that those two things, that's how you build a consistent winner, that you, you need that accountability and the attention to detail with younger players. And if you instill it from the very beginning, that that's kind of how you start to, to see success. Yeah, I thought the accountability part was, was interesting because it's, it's kind of a, a word that came up, um, I, I think, throughout the season last year. Um, and Ty Corbin was kind of described as this, this great coach of veterans, mm -hmm. great coach, a, a good coach of veterans. Um, and that was maybe sort of his preference was to have guys who you know, knew this was a job, knew how to work and, and do those things. But I, but I think what we're hearing from Quinn Snyder and, and, and know what he's shown in the past, and obviously we'll, we'll see if he can uh, replicate it here, but he's someone that can kind of um, relate to these younger players, cares a lot about giving these guys um, individual attention and, and bringing their games along and, and holding them accountable and, and kind of getting them to trust in him and, and showing that he trusts in them as well. So holding them accountable, I mean, it's, it's more than just showing up to practice. It's like developing, getting getting their game to what level? To, to the NBA level that can get us to the playoffs? Or is this a – or is it – Sure, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's the goal for everybody, right? The yeah. Playoff to be a championship caliber team, whether you actually win or not. Um, you know, that's obviously very difficult. But, uh, yeah, and, and I think, you know, we saw um, Damari Carroll, who was here um, – spent last year in Atlanta where Snyder was an assistant coach, but previously a, a jazz man saying that he got more attention from Quinn Snyder than he'd ever had um, from a coach before and really credited Snyder with developing his game. And, and Carroll was awesome as a starter um, th this year in Atlanta. Uh, they, they said in San Antonio, they actually are in Austin rather for uh, the Toros. They had to almost streamline and, and kind of limit what he was doing because he was Snyder was so um, focused and spent so much time with these guys that he had to actually kind of they had to they had to slim down what he was what he was doing for all of them. So is this like taking the guys out to dinner or is this like working with them on the court or is this I, I guess both. I mean, I it, mean it depends on, you know, what uh individual guys need. I mean, they're all these guys probably for the most part want to be coached. Um and they'll respond differently to different things and it's up to obviously a coach to kind of tap in and, and motivate them and, and find uh how you know how best to get them to respond. With this, uh, obviously, we talked about the last couple of podcasts with having uh, no coach while we're going into the draft and stuff like that. How much voice do you think Quinn's going to have when they're doing the selection? Or is it still back to the same old uh, calculus, just get the best player you can at this five spot? He'll, he'll have a voice. Um, the Jazz are pretty uh, diplomatic like that. They, you know, democratic, I should say. Yeah. Um, they, uh, you know, everybody chimes in, but that's not his specialty, right? He hasn't watched a bunch of film on these college guys all year. He's been focused on on the Atlanta Hawks and now moving over to figuring out his new roster here. Um, that decision is going to be Dennis Lindsay's decision, Walt Perrin's decision, Kevin O'Connor's decision, ultimately. Okay. What would you think with um, – if he if he was in charge of making the one pick on this, Do you what do you think he would per, uh, prefer on this? Is, is a a franchise-changing <laughs> superstar. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean – He's, he said he wants to um, 
play with a, a little more pace, try to take uh, advantage of a younger team with some athleticism, get up and down, try to get some easier baskets, um, run a lot more pick and roll. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, see what Trey Burke can do running that pick and roll. He's a, he's a little bit smaller of a guard, so maybe, you know, maybe it would be his preference to have a larger guard. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- that that's what he wants to do. He wants to run a kind of a, a motion offense, he said, that's sort of random. Um, he, he's a, he's kind of a big X's and O's guy. Um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see kind of what he can do uh, with this with this lineup. What do you think the – with uh, having Snyder here, it's, it's kind of cool because we're reading some stories. And I, like all things with this, go to iTunes and uh, download – if you're listening to the show, down, uh, go to iTunes, rank and rate the show, help us out. But if you're not, go to Salt Lake Tribune, and obviously you can listen to the program there. We're 11 minutes in, so you're already there. But there's these great stories that are coming out from you and Tony Jones, and even Brendan Smith had something where he was talking about his history and stuff. Like uh, the time he spent in Moscow, uh, is that going to impact any how he makes his coach uh, assistant coaching decisions? Well, there was some talk that uh, that that is that the head coach at uh, Cheska Moscow, uh-huh. um, Tori Messino, is leaving uh, Moscow, and and he, you know, he's been in. Uh, Could we see him in Salt Lake City? Uh, they, 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 that was that was floated as a possibility. I think that that's probably. Um, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem extremely likely at at the moment. Although they do have a relationship. Um, but there are still head coaching jobs o- open in the NBA, and this guy's been considered uh, a, a possibility to be the first kind of European-born um, head coach to be a head coach in the NBA. Um, and then and there are also going to be assistant jobs open for immediate contenders. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what, what happens, obviously. But it, it's been floated as a possibility, yes. With the, uh, you, uh, for the Jazz specifically, what kind of a staff does Snyder get to bring with him? Does he? Uh, well, we, we've heard so far that um, it's likely that Brad Jones, who was a candidate for this head coaching job, will be retained as an assistant coach on staff. Um, and there's also some talks that Alex Jensen might be promoted to, from a player development coach to an assistant on the bench. Um, when I asked Quinn that at the press conference, you know, he said that they hadn't had um, many talks about what that staff would be. It's going to be obviously faster than the Jazz took to find a head coach. Um, so it'll it'll be pretty interesting to see what he can put together. But uh, obviously, you know, there are only so many of these jobs out there, and and he's going to need probably someone that has some some uh, NBA experience to to help him out a little bit. Kevin, so as an editor here at the paper and stuff like that, you get an opportunity to have people to work underneath you and direct them, and you do a lot of you do a lot of talent development with the staff that you've had. Certainly, when you're an assistant sports editor here, if for Quinn. Using him on this, like uh, we always talk about getting the best players available and obviously get the best staff around you and stuff. But what do you, with you, do you feel as if Quinn's the kind of guy that's going to go in there and probably flex muscle on this? Or is this a guy that's going to try and get along and basically just to set, set for a long tenure here at the Utah Jazz? No, my impression is it's more of a try to. I, I think a good leader doesn't try to strong arm. I, I don't think that that works. And, you know, with especially when you're you're trying to develop people. Um, I, I think that, that you have to have a strong backbone. I think that you need to, uh, to make sure that you get your point across. But I also think that if you try, if you try to just strong arm and almost rule, um, kind of rule by as an authoritarian dictator, it doesn't work. You lose people. Um, I, and I, I, that isn't, you know, that isn't just uh, – coaching basketball that's that's in life I, I just think that it doesn't work i don't think it's an effective leadership technique i think you 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 need to find a way to motivate 
um, positively. That that you need to take the time to, as Aaron kind of talked, you know, earlier. Um, you have to get to know the people. You, you you have to develop a relationship there and spend the time on the court working with them or um, doing whatever it is that that you're trying to get that person to get better at. You you need to almost hold their hand through the process to kind of help them develop. Well, speaking of development, Falk, have you had a chance to go watch the workouts for the upcoming draft? We, we don't get to see the jazz, the individual workouts. Okay. Um, you know, we get up, we get reports on them afterwards. We talk with Walt Perrin, the vice president of player personnel, uh, but we don't actually, they, they keep us behind a closed door. We hear, we hear the, uh, the running, the squeaking of the shoes <laughs> and the grunts and the yelling and that sort of a thing. But, uh, but no, they brought in. Uh, we're starting to see some lottery guys and and some first rounders come through. That was a big uh, <laughs> a, a bit of concern, I guess, for fans before. But um, they brought in Aaron Gordon the other day. That was the same day as as the Snyder press conference, and he finished up, you know, giving some interviews upstairs and went went downstairs and watched Aaron Gordon work out. Um, brought in Adrian Payne. Uh, Adrian Payne, where's he from? Michigan State. Oh yeah. Uh, Six ten, stretch four, can shoot. You know, um, senior, older guy. Um, but uh, and, and see, yesterday they had um, they brought PJ Harrison in from uh, was a Carolina guy who got had some NCAA violations and ended up playing in the D League um, shooter. But he had back spasms, wasn't able to work out yesterday. Uh, CJ Wilcox, a kid from Pleasant Grove, who had a really nice career at Washington, came through, shot the ball really well yesterday. Um, you know, they've, with with three picks, you know, between one and thirty-five, this is a really interesting draft for them, and, and a really interesting time of year. Is there uh, is there any more rumors circulating around that they might trade up? Uh, there, there's talk that they, you know they're certainly trying, but to me, it seems that's going to be really difficult to do. Um, Philly is obviously trying to stay young, so you know, w- what are the Jazz going to give them that that's going to entice them to? trade out at, at three milwaukee's the same three picks is the only thing i yeah. can think like all three of the picks is what they could trade maybe, out maybe yeah. and I, I don't think that's going to be enough um given the hype around this draft and, and what some of these kids are you know supposedly going to be able to do cleveland's not in the cleveland and, well, cleveland probably wants you know what kevin love or or something like that if you're i mean i don't think ennis Cantor necessarily is going to be what entices cleveland to give up the first pick in this draft um, so that, so it's it's interesting. Maybe maybe Orlando at, at four. Maybe you could move up one. Uh, but now there's talk that you know Orlando really likes Marcus Smart. Um, maybe Dante Exum could fall, or or maybe Noah Vonleh from Indiana might move up into the top four. I mean, it's it's an interesting. Uh, it's, there's been more talk of movement than I think most of us thought there would be. Um, you know, a few months ago. But uh, there's also a lot of posturing. I mean, you know, you, you you float out, yeah, sure, yeah, I heard Cleveland, the unnamed source. You know what I'm talking about, Falk. The, yeah, they might be willing to <laughs> move. And, and you're trying to create a market is really what you're trying to do. Um, I know um, baseball is notorious for it around the, the baseball trading deadline. Oh, my goodness. Every every name on every roster, is suppo- there's one rumor out there that that person might be moving. Um, Scott Boris, the the agent, the super agent in baseball, um, has been accused of that numerous times of creating a false market, of saying a secret team has tried to get in on the bidding on a free the agent. Montreal to, Expos, right? You know, and and it, 
it's you you're like oh man maybe the Yankees are getting in on this guy so now I got to overpay or else I'm never going to get this guy. Mm-hmm. I I think that I, I think there's definitely tr- some truth to it, but I also think that there's there's a sense of trying to create a false market in order to drive up prices. If you're if you are Cleveland, you want that. You you know, if you want people out there thinking, yeah, I've got six or seven offers right now. And if you want to be the eighth, you better make it awfully sweet because I got seven others I'm looking at. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're trying to create you're trying to sweeten the deal for yourself with maybe, shall we say, misinformation. Maybe so. I still I still don't think the Jazz will I if I had to bet on it, I don't think the Jazz are going to be able to move up. Yeah. I, I just think that the, the talent at, at this draft and, and the situations for these teams in, in that are above them is going to make it very difficult for them to move up. All right, so let's uh, let's move the subject along into a little bit differently. Uh, we haven't we didn't have a chance to talk about this last week because you were uh, you were out on assignment uh, and the uh, with the uh, two billion sale of the L.A. Clippers. Uh, what have you been hearing from the Jazz just in terms of the, that trade? Uh, obviously, the Millers can – they have to unanimously vote on that. And uh, But, I mean, $2 billion. The team was purchased for $12 million. You know, the price goes up, you know, exponentially because the game itself is becoming much more of a world game. And probably of all the major four American sports, it's the one game that probably translates better to the rest of the world, certainly baseball and, Ameri- and American football not. You know, I could make the argument that hockey would be the second game that translates a little bit better out there. I'm taking soccer off the table, of course. But um, with uh, – a two billion trade like this, what does this do for the jazz value? I mean, does this make the is this just make now NBA teams the hottest commodity out there, the hottest brands? I mean, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I've talked with a few people, and I, I think you know the Clippers. It's that's an interesting situation. There was, it's it's L.A. Um, the Lakers are are down. It's uh, there was a lot of interest in that team, so the bidding was was um, obviously quite heavy on on both sides. There was. Uh, or uh, multiple multiple fronts, multiple groups getting involved in this. I think you know, really, kind of the more interesting one for me in terms of evaluating what the Jazz are worth is the sale of the Bucks. Um, was it five hundred and forty-five? Yeah, it was around there, five fifty somewhere. 50, in there. Okay. I can tell you the exact number off the top of my head, but but that I mean, to me, you know, they they have a. That's a sister. I mean, if you want to look at the at second tier NBA teams, that's a sister city for Salt Lake City. Having been to Milwaukee. You know, approximate same size, kind of the same, I would imagine, uh, in terms of uh, as a regional area, but people kind of uh, uh, for media and stuff like that. But it's sort of kind of an isolate. It's a little isolated out there. It's it's, a you know, s- somewhat similar market size, um, although I will say that their arena situation and it is not is not good. Obviously, they're you know, that's five hundred fifty million without um, with them having to build a new arena. Uh and attendance, it, it just doesn't have the same clout in the community that that the Jazz do. Um, well, because local boys in this state love basketball. Well, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but I mean, so so from what I what I've heard from just kind of economists eyeballing and and, and guessing is, you know, maybe the Jazz are worth six fifty. Um, if there was some, you know, if they were to ever sell, which they've, you know, that's always a kind of this rumor that's that's out there, and they in the Millers constantly, mm-hmm. you know squash it is um you know maybe if there was an intense bidding war which probably there wouldn't be similar to what was in la maybe up to a billion dollars but i mean obviously this franchise is is 
worth something. I mean, if, if you can see Milwaukee go for $550 million. Well, I also think, I think the buses and like with the Lakers are very similar to the mill or the Millers are like the buses. Like this is Larry's team. This is his legacy. I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to see Greg uh, consider even unloading it. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I do think that that plays on him. I mean, he mentioned, um, he kind of, kind of, uh, Scott Gerard, uh, you know, the radio host mentioned that this sounded very Larry Miller, but Greg at the, uh, press conference said something along the lines of you know when i'm driving and i'm just clearing my mind i I just kind of think about how much i want to win a ring for my father Mm -hmm. and how you know important that is to him so i I do think that um you know this being larry's team that that, that he loved so much i do think that would weigh heavily on any uh decision to if they were to ever consider selling which you know there's no indication that they they would right now well the uh, one of the reports that i read was that with the clippers you know they split sign with the staples center and stuff like that uh this bo- is it ballman is it pronounced his name balmer balmer with a balmer is like it's likely that he might even double up his offer to just to buy the staples center for another two billion dollars i mean to have that kind of production and stuff is how important does utah need a new stadium like is is esa in a or is that just window I, no, dressing they, for they, the they, they put in some a lot of money in renovations of late. Um, it's you know that that huge jumbotron system that they have in there, and they they spent some other money in renovations. Um, it's older than than some, yes, but it's it's pretty well kept. I mean, going around, you know, when you're at Arco or or uh, Sleep Train in Sacramento, I mean, you can see. Hey, this place needs a new arena, and you know that that's there's a reason why there's so much commotion about this. Um, Energy Solutions is pretty well maintained, and and I, I think they'll be able to get by for for a little while longer. Well, I think I mean, with the fact you have a downtown, I've been to Arco Arena before, and that thing is literally on the outskirts of town. It's, I mean, yeah, you drive past the airport to get to the basketball arena. Yeah, it's <laughs> to put it in context. With um, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know, Benny, you've mentioned the the two two billion dollars for a sports franchise, but the the guy's worth over ten. I mean, really? I heard it was worth twenty billion. Yeah. If if you've got it, why not? I I for me, if I let's say I had ten billion dollars, I do not. If I had ten billion dollars. I still have eight after spending the two and now I have a sports franchise and. There, there's something to be said for owning a sports franchise. It's cool. Um, well, you, exactly. It's it's a toy or yeah. or it's a status symbol. I mean, well, he the, became the man. He's the man now in Los Angeles, just like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and I mean that's why you know that's why there was a lot of concern or you know wonder about whether Donald Sterling how much he would fight this because two billion dollars it's insane amount of money. But it doesn't necessarily it doesn't change Donald Sterling's life. You know, yeah. I mean, when you're right. when you are the super rich, yeah. It's, when you get to order from the bottom right of the menu already, what's what's another couple <laughs> of bucks in your pocket? Yeah, and and it's it's cool. There, there's and there are so few franchises um, already, and they become available so infrequently. And that LA situation was just weird because the window to bid was so small and. There, there really was very little negotiating. Like you, you, Balmer very much wanted to make a statement and say, "Boom, two billion. It's I want it." Um, you know, it's kind of a discussion under, but it, it's it isn't very often that franchises become available. And so you kind of, if you have that kind of money, and it's something that 
is interesting to you, you've got to be ready to pounce. And I give the guy credit. Well, he wanted it. He went out and he got I it. I heard Scott Boris was artificially driving up the price on that. <laughs> <laughs> and an unnamed source said that. Well, it's funny is that New Orleans was owned by the league a couple of years ago. I mean, I don't know the, uh, the, the organization that purchased them, but I mean, talk about that. They get in for X amount and next thing you know, their investment because these guys are mutual fund guys and money. These are money guys. I mean, their investments tripled, quadrupled with a sale like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and every league wants this. Every mm-hmm. league wants their franchise going for $2 billion. You know, it, it, that's it's good for your league. It drives it, it drives the interest in your league. It drives the worth of your league. I, I'll tell you right now that um, uh, the, the NHL would pee its pants if someone offered a quarter of that for one of their franchises. I mean, they, they would love that. Um, so I'm sure that... Yeah, but who has $500 million for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, there's that. <laughs> now, in fairness, there are some NHL franchises that would be worth a significant amount of money. Yeah. But there are some that would not. Um, it, it's good for the league. It, 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 I think that it, it is a way of demonstrating the health of the league, that someone is willing to pay $2 billion to be a part of it, to own one of the franchises in your league. I think it says a lot about your league and, and the health of it and that people are willing to put that much capital into it. And it's great for the league in as much as now they have this team, another team in L.A. in a huge market that they can really go out and, and push. You know, before, I yeah. mean, if, if it was still Donald Sterling, notoriously a bad owner, um, it, it, you, you couldn't have felt very good about going out there and really pushing this product. And now you've kind of got this this – the stink off. Yeah, you've got this, you know, clean slate to really push in another huge market. And some incredible athletes on that team too. Absolutely. Which which Very. makes it easier because the NBA is most certainly a league that sells its players. And that franchise has players that can sell. And that when the the NBA back when Jordan was playing, it was always Jordan against whoever on Christmas Day. Well, you can do that with the Clippers. You you have the athletes there to do that. Um and like you said, Falk, the stink is gone, so go for it. Well, uh, two last questions before we uh, wrap this thing up here. Uh, one, with the, have you had a chance to talk to the Millers about how they feel about the Balmer? I mean, are they pro having more Balmers in the league, or is they kind of want to have some more consistency? No, I, I have not talked with them okay. about this. And uh, two, uh, nutted up in the finals, uh, one and one. Uh, how do you think the NBA championship is going to go? I want your prediction before we sign I, off. I've said Miami at the beginning of the year. I mean, the Spurs are obviously – they're deeper and, and, you know, they're really well run. But, you know, if, if LeBron doesn't cramp up at the end of that game, it could be it could be too well right now. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to stick with Miami, although San Antonio is going to be extremely tough. to beat. Miami and how many? Uh, I'll, I'll say seven. Camo? Um, I, I believe I went with the Heat also last week in six, so I'm going to stick with that. I'm jumping. To, I, I think it's going to be Heat in seven, too, and it's going to be it's bam, bam, bam across the board. All right, well, thanks for listening for this week, guys. Uh, if you have any questions, please contact uh, vis-a-vis the Twitter. Uh, Aaron Falk is tri- at Trib Jazz, and then we've got at K. Winmo for uh, Kevin Winter Morris, and I'm at Benny Raskin. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>